0: One, two, one, two, three. Welcome to the Stady Outdoors Podcast where we tell you straight what's going on at the local, state, and federal level that impacts our outdoor heritage. Our intent is to inform and empower the sportsmen and women. We want to encourage them to get involved and be part of the process. We will try not to editorialize or sensationalize the news of the day. My partner in this venture is none other than our 4th District Commission Excuse me, our 4th District Commissioner for the Kentucky Chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Mr. Ben Bishop. Uh, Today we are finally podcasting back in person, and we just had lunch at Mamie's Country Kitchen and Bar down in uh, Bardstown, and uh, yeah, we're back together, like Butch and Sundance. What's up, Ben?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not a whole lot. Uh, Since we last talked, I haven't really done a whole lot, been bored outside of work. Like I told you, I started doing a little bit of birding, started a bird list at my house. Right on a lot of a lot of indigo bunnings, a lot of goldfinches and doves, but I built an AR for some uh, for some cowdy hunting, hopefully here in the upcoming future, but other than that, I haven't been doing a whole lot.
0: Nice. Well, you man, you know you did well. Uh, some lesser men in your field of work
1: lost their jobs
0: during yes. this covid scare uh, so yeah.
1: I, i've been awful proud of you for my equal parts lost their jobs yeah a couple you, you, of them, your so. peers
0: some of your peers yeah. lost their job in your in your uh in your line of work
1: i'm still kicking as of right now
0: <laughs>
1: still kicking <laughs>
0: haven't tapped out yet not yet yeah well as usual man being retired I, i've uh i've had more time to 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 get out um and uh mainly been fishing uh me and my good friend larry richards who's the very recently the uh, uh is now the past president of kentucky and safari club as of this week he was uh very successful president of safari kentucky and a safari club in fact last year they won every single award at the Safari Club International Banquet for a small chapter. It's like, oh, wow. you know, outstanding chapter, outstanding newsletter. I mean, just anything like outstanding website. I mean, they, they won every single award. So Larry Larry left the presidency of Kentucky in a Safari Club um, in just, uh, you know, excellent award-winning shape. And he passed it off to, to a guy named Bob Edwards, who you, has been a officer of the league of kentucky sportsmen and uh those guys um are i mean very similar in in their ability to get stuff done they have different leadership styles but anyway larry and i are are hunting and fishing buddies and uh he runs a uh, 24 foot pontoon boat out of uh lake cumberland but it's it's completely tricked out for striper fishing so we can run uh up to eight rods off of it um three planer boards off one side, three planer boards off the other, a flat line right off the center of the back and then we can run a deep line off a of midship. And uh we went down there 2 weeks ago and we had to stay up till like 3:30 in the morning to make bait. Making bait is the hardest we've ever had to make bait, you know, deep LED green light and throwing a cast net, but we got about 40 good baits. And dude, the next morning was the best draper morning we've ever had. Second line in the water got hit with a keeper fish. Fourth wow. line in the fourth line in the water got hit with a keeper fish. We had two keepers in the first twenty minutes, and then uh, then we caught the next two fish were significantly bigger, but they took us two hour two two and a half hours to get. But we were, you know, it's two fish limit per person, twenty two inches or better each mm-hmm. fish. You know, so we had four keepers by ten thirty eleven o'clock in the morning. So it was wow. worth it. It took a while to wake up, man. It was, it was going to sleep at three thirty, and then trying to get up at six to to fish was a uh, was tough and then uh, i've been smoking some farm ponds man and some small lakes on fort knox for pan fishing and catfish so life is life is good and the fish the fishing in in the state of kentucky right now is legit
1: yeah oh yeah i've heard a lot of people having success for crappie and stuff i think they're 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 kind of out of the picture now but people are focusing more on bluegill and stuff like that so So everybody keep at it
0: yeah the bluegill are just not off the beds man and they're biting lip biting like crazy um, so we, uh, we had our last Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting on uh, June 26th, and it was uh, once again done remotely with the majority of uh, the Kentucky Department of uh, Fish and Wildlife Resources staff and the Fish and Wildlife Commissioners participating from their home or their office uh, virtually. And then we as sportsmen uh, watched it on a uh, slight delay on YouTube, Um, So, they're doing everything they can to move the business of the sportsmen and women of the state forward, and uh, I really have to commend um, the commissioner, uh, excuse me, the chair of the Fish and Wildlife Commission, Carl Kleinard, for everything he's doing, and I would really like to commend um, the deputy commissioner of the department, Brian Clark, for everything he's doing. Um, and then the commissioners themselves, it's a selfless job. So, you know, yeah. and it's tough, tough, tough to do it virtually. They're having to, you know, use Robert's Rules of Orders to, um, you know, vote on things, and move things forward from a di- from new business to a discussion item, from a discussion item to an action item. And, and, uh, and it's a, t- a tough day for those guys, but they did a great job. And that's kind of what we're here to report on is everything that happened at that, that meeting um, last week. Um, but we've been telling our listeners for a couple of shows now that we were going to do a piece on green decoys and it's something you and I are familiar with. It's something that makes us laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of people have heard it, have talked about it, but they don't know what it is. So I'm going to give everybody the cliff's notes on, you know, what a green decoy is before we go into our national and state local issues. Um, so, there's been a lot of talk the last few years on uh, green decoys. And, uh, you know, I'm doing this piece because I'm guessing a lot of our listeners don't understand what they what's meant by the term. Uh, even though they've probably heard the term on, on multiple national podcasts or, or seen it somewhere. And other
1: people would consider them green decoys.
0: Yeah, right. And they might even be considered green decoys. Right. But they don't know what it is. They've just heard it. Uh, and it's not new slang. It's not an old term. It is a invented completely farcical term uh, that was made up and uh, if someone calls you a green decoy what they are saying is that you're an environmentalist that pretends to be a hunter or a fisher and you are doing that to attract real hunters and fishers to your environmental cause Uh, moreover you're the kind of environmentalist that is actually recruiting real hunters and fishers and trying to pull them away From their traditional conservation organization to your environmental cause. So the concept here is if someone calls you a green decoy, you would be the kind of green, you know, ultra left wing hippie environmentalist that is trying to pull someone away from, you know, a traditional conservation organization like, say, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation Um, and, uh, and you would be doing that to try to recruit hunters and fishers, legitimate hunters and fishers to your environmentalist cause. Um, and it's meant to be an insult and it's meant to be a way to smear, uh, organizations and individuals And so when they call you a green decoy, it is not a compliment or didn't used to be a compliment. Um, Now some people kind of take it as a badge of honor. But uh, folks want to know how it started and what it really is. So here's the deal. Two Washington, D.C. henchmen, a man by the name of Will Coggin and another man by the name of Richard Berman, were actually hired and paid to do a well-designed media campaign to smear conservation organizations that are doing serious public land and public waters work. These two gentlemen are, are DC hatchetmen, and they designed websites, uh, media ads, and even so went so far as to give speeches talking about how organizations like the uh, Trout Unlimited, the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers were not legit sportsmen's organizations. They were green decoys we uh, those those organizations were composed of environmentalists who were not real hunters and fishers and um, it worked early on um, early on uh, they these gentlemen um, you know Coggins and Berman were successful in driving a wedge between um, newer hipper more modern um, conservation organizations and the old guard of our conservation organizations, but uh, what actually happened is 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 hunters and fishers are not elmer fudd we 're pretty smart well educated hardworking people that we understand nuance and we understand um, how things work and we figured these two jokers out. we figured them out, we figured it was all a bunch of um, dare I say horse shit, and now. These guys have been found out. They have no traction. Their green decoy thing has been flipped around on them and become a joke. And um, you know, I, I can I could sum it up, but nobody summed it up better than Stephen uh, uh You guys might know him as the Meat Eater. Uh, he said on his podcast, "I've spent my whole life surrounded by hunters, anglers, and trappers, including many of the best living today." And I'll tell you straight up that I've never encountered an organization with more passionate and legitimate outdoorsmen than can be found within the ranks of backcountry hunters and anglers. The green decoy business is coming from chicken shit attack artists who can't stand the thought of a young grassroots organization standing up for the landscapes that that they love. You bet your ass I am a hashtag green decoy. So... To Mr. Coggin and Mr. Berman, uh, gentlemen, you failed your little ruse worked for a while and your little green decoy campaign worked for a while, but it ultimately failed because sportsmen from across the country in all genres are starting to learn that it's our job to stick together. If we're ever going to move the ball down the field and we're ever going to, you know, defend our heritage, our outdoor heritage. And, uh, their invention of green decoys now seen as a badge of honor. Uh, if you get caught a green decoy, what used to be a smear and insult uh, now means that you're enjoying enough success in your conservation campaign to save public lands and waters that uh, somebody is willing to spend money to smear you. So if they're willing to spend money to hire a, a D.C. group of hatchet men and marketing out uh, outlaws to, um, you know, call you something that is supposed to be a derision or a bad word, then you're you're doing good work. If you're, if you're attracting that much attention that they, that they hire a marketing company to, to smear you well, congratulations. uh, You're a green decoy. Yeah. So that's that. Um, I wanted to give everybody that, you know, little five minute blurb. So now, you know, uh, if you've seen the t shirts that you know like I'm proud to be a green decoy, or if you've heard the term, now you know where it came from and uh with that, uh ben national issues brother
1: national issues, I've got two things here, and luckily this month it is all good news. We'll start off with uh and we've talked about both these things previously um we'll start off with uh Rawa, the recovering america's wildlife act it was uh it was passed. In the final infrastructure bill, uh, which was uh, uh, House, House, Resolution. Bill, House Resolution two, yep, House Resolution two. And the final infrastructure bill was passed two thirty three to one eighty eight. It was the only bipartisan act in there in the in the on block. And so that'll be that'll be moving over to the Senate. Yeah, I, I would assume what in August maybe.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to move this month any further. No. mm-mm.
1: So that's great, and uh, just a, a little recap on that: it will, uh, it goes back to restoring habitat, fighting invasive species, uh, helping to fight, uh, helping to fight CWD, and without any new taxes on anybody. Something everybody should be able to get behind. Yeah. And the second thing came about on June 22nd which was just after our last our last podcast, so we didn't get to include that. But we talked about it on previous ones, which was the Great American Outdoors Act, Senate Bill 3422. It was passed with no amendments, which is what everybody wanted. Clean bill. Clean bill. That's right. It was passed 73 to 25 with 59 co-sponsors, a great bipartisan bill. And for everybody here in Kentucky – Send an email, send a letter, call the office, whatever. But thank Mitch McConnell for being one of the co-sponsors on it and uh, giving a really good speech on the floor about our uh, how important our public lands are. And then uh, Mitch's counterpart there, uh, Rand Paul, call his office, send him an email, and ask him why he voted it down. But
0: and he voted it he voted nay. Every time on the Great American Outdoor site. Yes. Every single Every time. Every single time.
1: Ask him why, see if we can't get some answers out of him. And I mean,
0: the, And the only time he's addressed public lands in the last 18 months that I can remember, he wanted to sell off part of the Daniel Boone National Forest. Yes, around at, Lake Cumberland. Around Lake Cumberland. Yeah. And his, his explanation was that citizens needed greater access to the lake. But if you read the fine print, he wanted to put a road and a new boat ramp and some infrastructure through the Daniel Boone
1: National Forest yes.
0: as if we don't have enough boat ramps on Lake Cumberland.
1: Right, yeah. I'd, I'd send his office an email about that and got basically that same thing in an email back. So send him send him a question, you know, asking, asking him why not. Just uh, get his opinion on it. That way you can voice your opinion and uh, let him know that his constituents think otherwise. But... It became it was passed seventy three twenty five became House Resolution uh, seven zero nine two right so the Great American Outdoors Act
0: passed the Senate without debate yes a bipartisan and and what you're about to say is it's a bicameral bill because there's a sister bill or a sister yes. resolution in the House what's that sister resolution in the House
1: H R seven zero nine two yes seven zero nine two yeah yep yes. So, once it'll go to, it'll go to the House now, mm-hmm. from the Senate, and I would think that would be sometime in August probably as well. You know, I, I've heard it's going to start in late July, but you're right, I don't think the final vote will be until the first week of August. Right. And uh, President Trump has already asked for this to get on his desk. We've, he, se- we've said that wants, before. He wants it signed, yep. he wants it enacted, start... Uh, To start uh, the work on all these maintenance backlogs that we have in the national parks and uh, stuff like that, fully funding wildlife conservation or the land and water conservation. Yeah, yeah. So
0: let's let's recap real quick what it does.
1: It uh, let's see, I've got it here. So it
0: fully funds. So the land and water conservation fund used to be used to have to be reauthorized every five years, and then last year with the John Dingell Jr. Act. The Land and Water Conservation Fund was permanently authorized, but it was not permanently funded.
1: Right. Yeah, those are two different things. Two different
0: things, and yep. co- Congress can make something law and not appropriate the money or not fund it.
1: Their language is appropriation. So now the Great American Outdoors Act would. Uh, it's going to address. It's going to fully fund the LWCF, address the maintenance backlogs, and you've, it's going to put funding into. Was like the all your B L M lands, uh the uh National Forests. National, Forests, National your, Parks um, Native Indi- American uh Bureau of Indian Education. Yeah, Bureau of Indian Education. Yep.
0: Yep. And uh it'll be uh it's what, nine hundred million a year for land and water million year. Yep. fund? And then it's uh it's a it's not quite two billion a year for five years, I think, on um the maintenance backlog on all of our public lands. Yep. Yeah. So so yeah, it, all good news. It is good news. So you know, um, you know, so Senate uh, Bill three four two two was the Great American Outdoors Act. House resolution is the bicameral partner bill, House resolution seven oh nine two. Um, so those, those that's actually the same legislation, and it's called the Great American Outdoors Act. And if anybody out there wants to call and thank Senator McConnell for not just voting yay on it. But for co-sponsoring it and wants to call and ask Rand Paul why he voted no every time it came up for a vote, you can do that by calling the Congressional Switchboard at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. And I'm here to tell you it's the easiest thing you're ever going to do. It's much easier than sending them a letter and email. You call. You're going to 99% of the time you're going to talk to a staffer. Or an answering machine and all you got to say is your name uh, your zip code so that they know you're a constituent of their um, you know district back here in Kentucky and then just tell them to vote yes or no on things that are important to you and and, and you can do that for anything but we're asking you to do it for House Resolution 7092 call your representative um, and uh, and move that forward now I have some good news and bad news about uh, House Resolution 2, the um, the National Infrastructure Act, which had the Great American, or excuse me, the uh, Recovering America's Wildlife Act put in as an amendment. If you look at the roll call vote, only one representative in the entire state of Kentucky voted yes for the infrastructure bill, which included the Recovering American, Recovering America's Wildlife Act. That was the in-block amendment um, to House Resolution to the infrastructure bill, and that was John Yarmouth. Every other representative in the state of Kentucky voted no. So if you know the name of your representative, it's too easy. You can look it up just by saying, who's my Kentucky representative, and then Google search and put in your zip code. It'll come back, and it'll help you get that. Um, But you can call the Congressional Switchboard at 202-224-3121. An operator will pick up, and you say, um, for me— You know, I I would say, uh, John Yarmouth's office, please. And they'd say, in one minute. And then it rings into John Yarmouth's office. And uh, you almost always get an answer machine. If you want to call and thank McConnell, you do the same thing. Call the switchboard and say, uh, you know, uh, Senator McConnell's office, please. Now, he usually has a staffer that answers the phone. If not, you'll get an answer machine. And Rand Paul will almost always have a staffer answer the phone. And they're just, they're very nice. You just tell them your name. And uh they w- they're going to ask your your uh, postal zip code um, so that they're sure you're a constituent, and then just tell them which bill and you know how you want them to vote on it. so there you go.
1: And for the Great American Outdoors Act, I did find a you know looking into the crystal ball here, this was like <laughs> shaking the, the, you're shaking your the, magic eight ball. <laughs> it was like the Scopos lab or something like that gave it an eighty percent chance of passing the house. nice there so
0: ben bishop ladies and gentlemen shaking his magic eight ball (laughs) (laughs) i think shake it i think the answer is yes yeah (laughs) so um exciting times dude oh for sure i mean those are like that's i you know most of our listeners are probably wanting to be out hunting fishing trapping or boating you know or paddling their their local you know whitewater whatever mountain biking who knows with our listeners bird, that, bird watching uh, bird watching yeah like you <laughs> you know but um th- and legislation is seen as not sexy let me explain something to you ladies and gentlemen these these bills that are coming up right now the recovering american america's wildlife act started with a blue ribbon panel of, of scientists and and industry magnates i mean like johnny morris the guy that founded bass pro shops was on that blue ribbon panel and they basically wrote that act, the Recovering, America Wild, uh, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, um, as a way to get the resources from the federal government that the states currently can't use because they don't have. The states, you know, almost all of them, except for a few like Missouri that have a, a very small percentage sales tax that helps fund their Department of Fish and Wildlife, almost every state is funded 100% by sportsmen and sportswomen's dollars, and that either is license sales, hunting, fishing, license, hunting, fishing, trapping, and boating licenses, and the Pittman-Robertson and Dingle-Johnson federal excise taxes that also is sportsman's dollars that comes back to the state from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and Department of Interior. They The states just don't have the money to, to do work on every species, and so hunter and fisher's dollars actually... Pay for the work that states do on songbirds and monarch butterflies and all that. And, and we're losing habitat and we're losing species at an alarming rate. And that's what this Blue Ribbon Panel was designed to do. And their solution was the Recovering, America, Recovering America's Wildlife Act. It's so hard for me to say, but it's what it is. And it, it's basically going to give a significant amount of additional funding um, to every state. Department of Natural Resources, Department of Fish and Wildlife, or Parks and Wildlife, whatever your state calls it, to help manage all species. So that is a big, big deal. Um, and, And then landmark. I mean landmark legislation. I know it's not super sexy, but I'm here to tell you, Ben, I will be able to tell, you know, my kinfolk two generations from now if i'm still alive and they're itty bitty kids and say you know where i was when recovering america's wildlife act was passed <laughs> it won't be like somebody landing on the moon but it'll i mean it's going to be huge for our outdoor heritage i mean just huge so what else you want to talk about at the national level man
1: that that's all i got for now
0: you want to talk about that uh nefarious character uh william perry penley a
1: little bit Oh yeah, we let's uh, talk
0: about that Joker. Yeah. He, so President Trump just did something. It was totally it, forgot about that, uh, dude. Look, I love using this term. I hope people that are listening understand this term. Crazy Ivan. <laughs> One of my favorite movies is The Hunt for Red October, mm-hmm. and and they talk about how Russian submarine captains sometimes take a hard turn, left or right, to see if someone's following them. Because if if a submarine has another submarine right behind them, they they can't hear it they can't see it they don't know it's there and so people take crazy Ivan's well in my mind uh, Donald J. Trump took a crazy Ivan I yeah. mean an absolute crazy Ivan because the in one of the oldest tricks in the book in federal politics is to take someone who will never ever make it through Senate confirmation and appoint them as the acting director of an agency and as the acting director of an agency they don't stand Senate confirmation. So you can take someone who's extremely, you know, um, controversial, like William Perry Penley. So for who, for those of you who are listening that don't know who he is, William Perry Penley is a lawyer um, from out west that is 100% anti-public land and public waters. He's written books and papers and magazine articles that we should divest them all. We need to get rid of all of them and we need to give them to the states and let the states manage them. Well, that's impossible. we could do we could do five podcasts on why that's impossible, but but I'll give you one quick example. A a major wildflower major wildfire in Idaho could bankrupt the state of Idaho. They just don't have the money that a state like Florida or Massachusetts or Illinois has. You know, western states have a smaller tax base, they have smaller population but they have massive amounts of public land. Major wildfire? Bankrupt them. Um, And so FEMA would still have to come in as an emergency management deal. It wouldn't be the Department of Interior and all that jazz that currently fights wildfires. It would be a mess. So divesting our public lands and giving them to a private entity is ridiculous. The same thing for our public waters. If you put our public waters up for sale, it would not be out of the realm of possibility that a corporation that was majority foreign owned could own a significant portion of a western river. Well, let's just say that that western river provides water to Las Vegas. You know, now they have actual control over whether that city is successful. I mean, you can't just give away our public lands and waters. And that's what William Perry Penley wants to do. He's already moved the Bureau of Land Management out of D.C. and moved it out west. So now it's disconnected from all the other agencies uh, and departments in D.C. It makes it harder for them to operate, and it's easier for him to tear it down because it's out west and it's more remote. Well, crazy Ivan. (laughs) The Republican Party wanted William Perry Penley in the acting role at the Bureau of Land Management, and they got what they wanted. And he was busy tearing down the Bureau of Land Management, and he was busy working towards divesting our, our public lands. And all of a sudden, Donald J. Trump says I want him in the actual position, which means he has to stand Senate
1: confirmation. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, he's not gonna make it. Ben, I don't nope. think he's gonna make it. Nope. We actually go over him a little bit back in episode two. If, yeah, uh, if people want to go back and re listen to that or something.
0: Yeah, so that's that's the um we didn't talk about talking about him today. But it just hit me right as we were finishing yeah, up the I, Yeah, I
1: completely forgot about that. Yeah. I'm so Glad you brought that up. I mean,
0: he he's going to stand Senate confirmation, and I'm here to tell you folks, that's another reason you call that congressional switchboard and say, hey, you know, if you're a senator, so for us, of course, it's McConnell and Paul again, we don't want William Perry Penley as the director at the Bureau of Land Management. He is a darling of the oil and gas industry. He wants our Western – public lands sold off so they can be bought up by extraction industries, whether it be mining or drilling. Um and so yeah, we need to punt that
1: dude. And based on the based on the voting for the Great American Outdoors Act and public lands in general, I mean you can't you kinda guess, you know, that Paul probably kinda of, like probably wants him in there. McConnell? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah,
0: I don't know either. You know, Rand Paul has voted against every public lands bill that I can remember. And I think he does it under the guise of it's big government to have public lands. Well, right. It's part of the American estate. We can't just give it away. So I understand. I am not a big government person. I'm very much like Hal Herring, you know, the 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 author, the award-winning author and uh, host of BHA's podcast and blast, says all the time – if I am going to consent to be governed, then I want to have my two cents. I want it to be the government that I can be proud of, which is a, right. sm- a small government, and I'm all for small government. But we can't. It, you can't give away, you know. You can't give away the 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 40 acres on the back of your farm just because you don't have time to mow it and it's expensive. Why? What would you do that for? It's like burning your furniture because the house is cold. As soon yeah. as spring comes, you have no furniture. He wants to give away our federal estate, lands that, you know, uh, it's part of American exceptionalism. We're one of the only countries in the entire world, if not the only country, that has land that you could leave New York City today having never, ever been outside. Drive west, park your car in a Bureau bureau of Land Management land somewhere in New Mexico and walk for six days and never, ever run into a person. And guess what? You own that land the same as I do. It is public. So that dude needs to go. Um, and I don't think he's going to make it through Senate confirmation. In fact, I'm going to add that to my list of phone calls. I called Yarmouth today to thank him for voting yes on the in block uh, amendment uh, to House Resolution 2, the infrastructure bill, which was the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. And then I asked him at the same time to vote yes on House Resolution 7092, um, the Great American Outdoors Act. So I need to add McConnell and Paul phone calls Hey, you need to you need to pull the flush lever on the toilet on Penley there. What else you want to talk about at national level, man?
1: I'm good to go. You are let's, good to go. Well, let's hear what you got on the state side.
0: Oh boy. Buddy. Okay, so the very first thing is and, and it's you know, and I I'm, I'm not gonna get into the political side of this, it's just the the facts that people would need to know how things work in Frankfurt. Um Our commissioner of fish and wildlife, uh, Mr. Rich Storm, the gentleman that's in charge of the entire uh, entity. So he's the head man at the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources. His contract expired um, midnight on June the 30th. And that's the way they do um, a significant number of the head, uh, the head man or woman at some of our, sub cabinet departments and agencies Uh, same thing happened with the gentleman who's running the Kentucky Fair Board Um, his contract expired and was not renewed so I'm happy to say that we have an an excellent deputy commissioner uh, the second level person running the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources is a career employee and um, excellent scientist when it comes to wildlife biology, and that, that gentleman's name is Brian Clark. So, don't anybody panic. Our department is still in good hands um, now that our commissioner is, is in contract jeopardy. Um, and we're not going to go into why he is, it's a political deal between um, the Department of Fish and Wildlife leadership. Uh, It's most likely party politics, but um, you know the current leadership of a Department of Fish and Wildlife are conservatives, and our governor is a liberal. So, you know, regardless of whether you're a Republican or Libertarian or Tea Party, whether you're a Democrat, a progressive or a socialist, I'll just use liberal and conservative. They're from different sides of the aisles, and uh, it doesn't matter that Storm is doing a good job. It it, it, that's just not the way politics works. So. His contract expired, even though the Fish and Wildlife Commissioners voted unanimously, and it's their power to do that. Our nine volunteer district commissioners voted unanimously to reappoint him in January. That contract's been sitting at the Tourism, Arts, and Heritage Cabinet um, for months and has not been actioned. So whether it's an administrative failure or whether they just don't want a Republican running the Department of Fish and Wildlife, who knows, my magic eight ball doesn't answer that one, but that's a fact. Don't anybody panic while they're figuring that out. We had, we are in good hands uh, with Deputy Commissioner Brian Clark. So that's all good. Um, some other very interesting news is um, the first uh, Fish and Wildlife District, which is kind of the 11 or 15 counties uh, around Paducah, um, is uh, coming open on August the 8th. So 30 days prior to that, we have to have a nomination meeting to replace um, Harry Carlos, who is the current first district fish and wildlife commissioner. And the meeting to nominate a sportsman or woman from that district is going to be July the 9th at 7:30 p.m. at the McCracken County UK Ag Extension Center, which is on uh, New Holt Road in Paducah. I see you in first district. Uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission District um, nomination meeting will be July the 9th, 7.30 p.m. in McCracken UK Extension Center. The 5th District, which is uh, northern Kentucky, uh, just south of all the counties, basically just south of Cincinnati, uh, will be July the 7th, 7.30 p.m. at the Boone County UK Extension Center. And the 6th District, which is uh, kind of the Lexington Fayette County-centric district, uh, will be on July the 6th uh Monday and we might not have this podcast out by then but we might uh it's a pretty tight timeline for us cuz today's the 3rd but um that's at 7:30 p.m. at the Jessamine County UK extension office and um so anybody worried about going to a public meeting right now that one is going all three of those are going to be held in the parking lots of those UK extension centers and they're going to use a PA system, and they're asking people to park their car and basically stay in or around their car, you know, either in the car with the window down or just stand outside your vehicle or tailgate, whatever you need to do. And then uh, you'll be able to nominate your, um, you know, knowledgeable, influential sportsman in your district to be your new representative. And that's the way it works. You can nominate up to five those five names will go to the governor's office and the governor will pick from those five names and appoint someone to represent your district for the next 4 years so that's that's how important these are there's only nine fish and wildlife commissioners they're volunteers god bless them for their hard work and um, they one of them will get someone will get appointed in the 1st the 5th and the 6th district by governor Andy Bashir sometime in the next 60 days Uh, And your power as sportsmen and women to influence that is to go to those meetings. And if you have someone who is knowledgeable about the issues, is hardworking and willing to bust their butt for free because these are unpaid jobs. um, But they'll vote for you and their vote is official. They they are an official voting body that controls what the Department of Fish and Wildlife does. You know somebody in the first, fifth or sixth districts. Uh, that fits that bill, knowledgeable, hardworking sportsman or woman, then uh, please go to those meetings and nominate them. Uh, any good sportsman is a good pick. Uh, any good sportswoman is a good pick. What we don't want to see, we don't want to see a political plant um, show up, some politician that really doesn't understand the issues and is voting as uh, as a tourist. You know, they don't actually have skin in the game. So that's kind of the most important uh Thing that we could possibly talk to you about at the state level right now because it affects the future of hunting, fishing, trapping, and boating for the next four years in the state of Kentucky. That's three of the nine votes. We have three uh, commissioners. Now, I'm told that Dr. Harry Carlos from the first district, you know, which is those counties down around Paducah, is going to put his name back in the hat. Uh, the governor had the op- option of reappointing him for another four years, he did not execute that option. So, um, Dr. Carlos, who's been representing the first district for four years, will have to be renominated, um, and the governor will have to, you know, appoint him there. Which, if you ask me, is probably a long shot. If the governor would be willing to appoint him after the sportsman renominated him, then he would have just exercised his ability to reappoint him, so he didn't have to go back through the nomination process. But there you go. Um, so there was a bunch of issues. Um, at the uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission, and I'll try to go through them as efficiently as I can for everybody that could not attend. Once again, they held the meeting on Friday at 8:30 in the morning. So even for those who uh, are working at home, you might not have been able to, you know, run multiple computers so that you could watch the Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting and do your work for whatever uh, outfit you're working remotely from home uh but if you have a real job and you were physically ha- had to be there there's no way you could have been there at Friday at 8:30 in the morning which is still a sticking point with sportsmen and women that the the meetings where we talk about our hunting fishing trapping and boating heritage are on a weekday at 8:30 in the morning so for somebody that's got 2 weeks leave a year and probably 7 sick days to attend you know four of these meetings you're giving up four, four of of those 21 days a year and that, that's just probably a wrong answer but the first thing that they did was they designated um, an Ohio River Working Group. Now, for anybody that remembers or is a a listener to this podcast, you might remember that um, they used to have eight meetings a year at the Fish and Wildlife Commission, and uh, four of those meetings were where uh, what they called committees would give committee reports. And at those committee meetings, they would vote to move things on to the full commission for a vote. So they have two votes, really, and this is kind of the democratic process in this country. We have multiple votes before we have a final vote on just about anything. And um, those committees, there was four standing committees, they have been abolished. And now we are going to have only four meetings a year. So the people that are complaining that our new meetings take all day, you're right. But it's by design. It's by design. Instead of having eight meetings where people have to travel to Frankfurt eight times a year and we have to do eight big working days that probably last six hours, the department is doing only four days a year, and those meetings are going to last probably eight or nine hours. Okay, so they're trying something new. Well, what they also did was they abolished the committees and they made working groups. So where we used to have like a wildlife uh, committee that worked on everything wildlife, which, you know, is game species, non-game species, and our WMAs and public lands. We now have individual committees, okay? So, and the fisheries group used to talk about all of our bodies of waters and, and all of our aquatic species. And um, now we'll have working groups. And so now um, one of the first fisheries working groups is the Ohio River Working Group. And the, uh, the three members of the Fish and Wildlife Commission that were named to that working group Doug Morgan, the 8th District Commissioner, has been named the chair. Uh, Kevin Bond, the 5th District Commissioner, has been named one of the um, members. And Harry Carlos, the 1st District Commissioner, has been named one of the members. And it's interesting that they named Kevin Bond and Harry Carlos to that um, Ohio River Working Group because they're both were not renominated by the governor the fifth and the first districts were not renominate or excuse me not not reappointed by the governor and they're having to go back to their home district and hoping the sportsmen renominate them and then the governor that didn't just appoint them cuz he could have just given them another 4 years by a stroke of a pen well that's an executive order but still um so interesting there but your ohio river working group is Doug Morgan Kevin Bond and Harry Carlos the 8th the 5th and the 1st district the next uh, item on there was a. Uh, uh, actually, the um, they also named they named at the last working group the the members of the um, uh, the uh, board members the commissioners on um, the elk working group, uh, which was um, Paul Horn of the seventh district, which is in the elk zone, um, was named the chairman of the elk working group. Um, Kenny Knott, who is the fourth district commissioner, was put on the elk working group. And once again, Kevin Bond, whose term ends in August, was named to the elk working group. Those were the three um, commissioners put on it. But they announced at this meeting who the civilians would be on that elk working group because there's going to be some civilians named to each of these working groups who are official voting members of the working groups. Um, And uh, I'm happy to say that uh, Don Thomas, who's an elk god, in fact, he's the president of the Elk Gods Association, was named one of the civilian members of the elk working group. And uh, yours truly, uh, Colonel Retired Mike Abel, was named as the other civilian on the uh, elk working group at this meeting. So the next action item was a proposed amendment to create a hybrid scalp season with a daily bag limit of one for the first 15 days of the regular duck season, and then a daily bag limit of two for the remaining 45 days. Um, the bottom line here is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service dictates the seasons and the bag limits and their biologists are seeing population changes. And so this was uh, an action item to bring the state of Kentucky in line with the federal scalp season. And now we're, we're gonna be uh, good to go because this passed uh, unanimously. Uh, The next action item was to uh, incorporate um, new descriptions of the waterfowl hunting zones. And basically, years ago, when uh, Canada geese were in uh, short supply, which we all know is not the the issue now, now they're overpopulated on every golf course in the state of Kentucky, Um, we had different waterfowl zones to help manage uh, bag limits and seasons across the state. Uh, for Canadian geese, and uh, so uh, this rule would be to repeal um, Kentucky uh, Administrative Regulation two semicolon two two four, and basically we will not have um, eastern and western duck zones anymore. It'll be everything managed at the statewide level, and that uh, that was approved unanimously. The next thing was on Sandhill se- uh, Sand Crane hunting season. So it was to change the Sandhill Crane hunting season uh, to match the second segment of the regular duck season. Um, basically, the, uh, they previously changed the timing of the Sandhill Crane season in 2017, 2018 to coincide with the duck season. Uh, with the change in the framework of the 1920 duck season, uh, moving the closure to January 31st, uh, the commission also wanted to make the crane and duck seasons uh, the same again. Uh, And this would allow the season frameworks for January 31st closure for sandhill cranes in addition to uh, regular ducks. And uh, that passed unanimously. Um, The next one was to modify the September uh, Canada goose season and the timing of it. So if folks remember, uh, a few years back, uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, urged on by the sportsmen, had an early uh, Canada goose season. Um, And that was basically focused on our nuisance population of Canada geese that we have across the state. And that was, uh, that opened up very early in September, the first of September, or like the first Saturday in September. It was extremely early in September. um, And that allowed um, goose hunters to really get after um, the resident Canada geese um, before agriculture practices you know, of harvests, you know, there's big combine, combines and, and, and machines come through and harvest these fields and they, and they basically um, just spread the concentrated geese out willy nilly. Um, so that was a pretty successful early Canada goose season back in the day when it was right at the start of September. Well, at some point we had the bright idea to move the early Canada goose season to coincide with the, the early duck season, the early wood duck teal season. And I guess that was so that people could be out hunting wood duck and teal and also take the occasional Canada goose, even if they weren't dedicated goose hunters. But what that actually did was that actually muddied the water because of ag practices in the western part of the state. Um, By the time that um, early wood duck teal season hits, uh, those fields have been combined um, and the ag practices have scattered the geese and we're just not getting the geese so this was a long discussion at the at the commission because um they they really want to do something for the folks in the western part of the state to make sure that they have an opportunity on those resident canada geese before they um get spread out by ag practices um but it's not the same across the state in the north and the eastern part of the state uh, the ag practices happen a little later in the state, a little later in September, early October, and the geese are still concentrated in that part of the state. So um, they didn't actually vote on this um, to move it forward. They tabled it because they want some more research and they want to come up with a few different, um, maybe different ideas before they make a final vote on it. So that got pushed. The early goose season change got pushed to the next meeting. Um, the next was the uh, award of the special commission permits to nonprofit conservation organizations so for those of you are tracking by law the fish and wildlife commission can give 10 um, additional elk permits waterfowl permits deer permits and turkey permits annually to 501c3 incorporated charity wildlife conservation organizations and those incorporated wildlife conservation organizations must use the money for wildlife conservation work after they sell those permits um to either the highest bidder or, you know, through a raffle or whatever. Um, so they um, they voted to give uh, 10 permits of each this year. Uh, it was not unanimous. There was a a, a commissioner that uh, wanted to only give seven because his belief is our elk herd is, is a little low in numbers and, and suffering a bit. But uh, he lost, and um, there was more than enough votes to give, uh, 10 of each of those permits out. And so, um, this was also the year that based on changes to the way they legally give those permits out, there was going to be multiple permits. So this year there was actually just one year's worth for the, uh, 2020 season, um, uh, or excuse me, 2021 season, one year's worth of elk permits. But there was two years worth of uh, waterfowl um, and uh, deer permits and one year's worth of turkey. It was, it was pretty interesting because it's usually just one year's worth of, of each of the four. Uh, but this year there was given away a 2020 waterfowl, a 2021 waterfowl, a 2020 deer, a 2021 deer, a 2021 elk and a 2021 turkey. So there was really actually like you know um, uh, six permits that you could you could get this year versus the normal uh, four.
1: Is there a benefit to that? Given two years out of once, other than it, not having had a vote on them next year.
0: No, the way the reason they did that is it gets them in line for them all to be 2022 next year, right? So it used to be that they gave away certain tags, you know, this is voted on in June. So the waterfowl season's over, the turkey season's over. So it was like, so some of these are for next year. Some of these are for this year. It, it was confusing. Um, and the lawyers at the Department of Fish and Wildlife changed the application procedures um, for these tags, made it more stringent, and uh, it actually made it more stringent at the same time they made it easier to understand, to be honest. Um And this was incorporated in that change, and that change came from last year. But uh, so everybody knows um, the 2020 um, waterfowl uh, permits went to Appalachian Outdoorsmen, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation, Kentucky Grouse Society, Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry, Kentucky Trap Shooters, the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, Northern Kentucky Flyfishers, the Nature Conservancy, and Wildlife Women. The uh, 2020 deer permits went to Appalachian Outdoorsmen, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation, Kentucky Grouse. Uh, Kentucky Houndsmen Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry Quality Deer Management Association and Kentucky Trapshooters. the 2021 deer permits went to Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation Kentucky Grouse the Houndsmen Hunters for the Hungry Kentucky Trapshooters, League of Kentucky Sportsmen Northern Kentucky Flatfishers Quality Deer Management Association and the Nature Conservancy the 2021 turkey permits went to Appalachian Outdoorsmen Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation Kentucky Grouse Hunters for the Hungry, Kentucky Trap Shooters, League of Kentucky Sportsmen, Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers, Quality Deer Management Association, Nature Conservancy, and Wildlife Women. The 2021 waterfowl permits went to Appalachian Outdoorsmen, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation, Kentucky Grouse, Hunters for the Hungry, Kentucky Trap Shooters, the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, Northern Kentucky Flyfishers, Nature Conservancy, and Wildlife Women. The elk tags went to... Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers, Wildlife Women, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation, the Gr- Kentucky Grouse Association, Kentucky Houndsmen, Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry, Kentucky Trap Shooters, League of Kentucky Sportsmen, Quality Deer Management Association, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Um, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation drew Zone 4 elk tag. Kentucky Grouse drew, drew Zone 7. Kentucky Houndsmen drew Zone 5. Kentucky Fish... Uh, excuse me. Kentucky hunters for the hungry drew zone seven. Kentucky Trap trapshooters drew zone two. Lead Kentucky sportsmen drew zone six. Northern Kentucky fly fishers drew zone four. Quality Deer Management Association drew zone two and Rocky Mountain Foundation zone three and Wildlife Women zone six. So, in a nutshell, as fast and efficiently as I can give that to you, that's how your commissioners' tags went down. And if you know someone in those organizations,
1: those permits are either for raffle or sale right now. So reach out. And with those tags within those zones, they're at large within the zones, correct?
0: It used to be that the elk zone, that, that the commissioner's elk permit was at large in the entire elk zone. You could right. go to any of the seven. Now, right now, zone one is shut down. So right now, we're only hunting zones two through seven to begin mm-hmm. with. So nobody hunts zone one anymore. Um, it used to be that that all of those tags were at large. The challenge there was you were putting... Like last year, seven. Uh, there were seven at-large elk tags given. Um, you could potentially put those seven people in in the best elk zone, right? And there was some concern that you're putting a little bit of extra pressure on the best zone, so they wanted to spread them out. Um, and you know, it's it's more fair because that's how that's how regular sportsmen draw. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the first thing you do is in in May, you actually get um chose for the tag and then you buy a permit and then later in the summer they actually have a secondary raffle to give you your zone Uh, people really don't like the secondary raffle; they want it to be when you get your when you get your tag in the lottery you also get the zone because that allows you to do the research and and book a outfitter earlier as it stands now you got to wait you know a month or whatever it is before they draw the zones and then you got and then in that time, you really can't do any research. You can call outfitters mm-hmm. and say, hey, do I need an outfitter? But you can't say, hey, I need an outfitter for zone two. Because what most folks might not know is all the elk guides um, don't outfit. Sh- I sh- I'm saying that backwards. All the outfitters don't guide in every zone. Yeah. So you can't call an outfitter and just say, hey, I need to hire you for the elk season. And they may only... They may only guide in zones two, three, and four, and you drew zone six. Well, if you give them a deposit, hopefully they give it back to you because they can't guide for you. So it's it's a it's a challenge.
1: But I didn't know like it, could those whoever gets those tags in like, the raffles or whatever if they got a zone two could they hunt in the regulated areas? Mm-hmm. They're good. Yeah,
0: they're they're. Okay. I don't think they're precluded from the LEAs, the limited yeah. entry areas. Um, I think once you get a commissioner's tag, you get all of zone two. And if there's limited entry areas in, in zone two, then you can do zone two as well. Where once again, someone who draws a general permit in the lottery, not only has to wait to draw their zone, they have to, to put in a request to get into the limited entry area. Yep. So there's, there's a bunch of red tape with where you hunt in Kentucky, even though the lottery's easy, it gets tough after that. Um, then the, the commission wanted to, um, uh, Put in place some bylaws. Um, Years ago, there were some operating instruction type deals with how the commission was supposed to operate. Right now, they're operating basically just off the the 150 chapter of Kentucky Revised Statutes is all about the Department of Fish and Wildlife. So, if you want to read up on the law that backs up the Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, just Google Kentucky Revised Kentucky Revised Statutes KRS Chapter 150, and boom, it'll come up, and that's all the laws that that. Govern the Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Fish and Wildlife Commission. But anyway, they wanted to pass some bylaws. Um, there was some legal issues with them passing bylaws. If if a if a state department or agency apparently is going to have to have bylaws, they have to post the draft bylaws for a number of days to the public. And basically, the, even though the bylaws were uh, were well written and people were happy with them, and the author was uh, Dr. Harry Carlos, the first district commissioner, everybody really thought he did a great job with those bylaws uh, in the discussion. Uh, Even though that was the case, um, the lawyers basically said, look, you didn't post them to the public so the public could read them for 30 days. You're not in in, uh, compliance with, I think it's the Open Meetings Act or Open Records Act. I'm not sure. Uh, Open Meetings Act, I believe. Anyway, long story short, that had to be tabled um, because they didn't publish them for the public to read. The next one was um, uh, a discussion item. And uh, so all the action items are now done. So now we move into the discussion items. And for everybody to remember, every one of the four meetings that we have annually now, the morning session is going to be um, the business of the commission, passing the minutes, passing the budget, and passing or not passing the action items. And then as you move past lunch and into the afternoon, you're going to have discussion items. Now those discussion items are to be voted on to go to the next quarter's action items so there's a vote for it to come out of discussion and there'll be a motion for how to you know structure the change as an action item for a meeting 90 days in the future and then it becomes an action item so these are the discussion items Uh, there is a discussion item on uh, on the means by which migratory birds can be taken And it was to add crossbows as a legal method uh, for hunting migratory birds. And honestly, that is already legal um, under U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service law. And U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are the people that set the law uh, for hunting migratory birds. Uh, Right now, you can hunt migratory birds with a compound bow or a long bow. You know, it's any kind of vertical bow already. But Kentucky law does not allow crossbows. So there was significant discussion on whether or not to allow crossbows for the fall of the 2021 season for migratory birds. And the idea, I think, is this is another way to hunt uh, nuisance geese um, that are on the ground, um, causing trouble around ponds and golf courses and people's lawn. Um, But honestly, there was entirely... Too many facets to cover on this podcast. The bottom line is this discussion item got moved to the June meeting as an action item. So if if it's important to you to um, hunt, hunt waterfowl with a crossbow, call your district commissioner. <laughs> so the next thing, next discussion item was to add, um, add and or change um, the youth waterfowl season. Uh, and add potentially add days for a veteran's waterfowl season. So for those who weren't tracking, there was some language in the March 2019 John D. Dingle Jr. Conservation Management and Recreation Act, which we talked about earlier in this podcast. Mm -hmm. That was the act that fully authorized the Land and Water Conservation Fund in perpetuity every year. It doesn't have to be authorized ever again. Um, But that act also had language in it that... States could have a two-day veterans-only waterfowl season, and it allowed for a more liberal interpretation or or extra days for youth. There was a significant amount of discussion, um, and um, you know, it all revolved around should the youth go first and then the veterans, because we, you know, most veterans would rather the kids got ducks first and. How do you how do you manage who goes when and should you add extra days just for veterans because hey man you know why not first responders as well you know police and firemen keep us safe here at home veterans keep us safe overseas and a lot of discussion the bottom line is is that the hardest part was choosing when not if <coughs> excuse me I think we're gonna do it um, but it was moved from a discussion item to an action item uh, the next thing was uh, um, the dove, wood, duck, teal, and other migratory game bird hunting amendment, or excuse me, uh, admin regulation, uh, to be changed. And it was going to allow experimental dove field rules and for adult hunters 16 and over to participate in mentored hunts. So basically what this did is it established... The concept that, that we would, the department the department would put in experimental dove fields. Basically, it's nothing ex- really experimental about the dove field. The dove fields would be the same as they currently are, but it would be who got access to the dove fields. And, and it not only would limit the access to the dove fields, it would require um, almost like uh, telecheck reporting of how many doves were killed that day by each hunter and allow the department to log how hunter impact, hunters impacted dove fields to see if, you know, less hunters um, extended the good hunting on a dove field. So right now everybody piles in there and you basically shoot a field out in three to five days. What they're thinking now is if we limit hunter access, maybe we don't shoot a field out for 10 days. Um, and And that's how experimental it is. The other part of this amendment was... That if new hunters, not just youth, so if new hunters over 16 years old as an adult hunter, um, over 16, but they were new, um, would get the same access to dove fields as youth. And um, that was moved out of uh, discussion into September's agenda as an action item. And then the, the waterfowl um, seasons and limits, uh, Kentucky Admin Regulation 2.0 colon two, two, one or semicolon two, two, one. Basically this one was to amend the language specific to the Ballard wildlife management area, um, about, um, having multiple, having multiple guns in a blind. Um, so it is currently illegal for a hunter to have more than one gun in a blind at the Ballard WMA or Ballard, uh, excuse me, uh, wildlife management area for waterfowl season that illegality came from probably an ill-advised change. But what happened was years ago, they caught people um, hunting down there with multiple loaded weapons in a blind. So basically, you know, you're supposed to have a plugged shotgun to hunt waterfowl no more than three rounds uh, per gun. And there were some 'er ne'er-do-wells down there that had like three guns each with three of the rounds in a gun. So basically, you know, uh, And they were shooting passing waterfowl, which is not always the best idea. You kind of want the best, most most ethical way, in my opinion, is wait for the wait for the ducks and geese to choose to land in front of your blind and put their feet down. You're going to get much better shots. You're going to have much less cripples. But some nefarious actors were shooting passing waterfowl, and were doing it by having multiple loaded shotguns in a blind. So they made it illegal to do that, and uh, the you know, that was basically punishing everybody for um, some idiots. So what they want to do now is allow you to have a backup shotgun at your blind, maybe one for the whole blind or maybe one for every hunter in the blind, but unloaded it in a case in case you have a malfunction. So you don't have to give up maybe the best part of your day, you know, pulling maintenance or fixing your gun. And that passed on to action as well. And um, then we went into... Um, the new uh, agenda items and the um, information items. So we, we went through the action items, the discussion items, and now we are moving into um, what is new uh, information, um, new business, I should say, and uh, or information briefings. So um, there were some significant Proposals to change or enhance the elk draw um, that was actually briefed by the um, an expanded group from what was the old marketing committee. So we had four standing committees, and the marketing committee was one of them, and uh, they took on initially the elk. Draw license sale issue, but they expanded it with people from the you know, people from the deer, uh, deer and elk coordinators office, um, to kind of look at the entire elk hunt drawing uh, procedure, and and they got down into the weeds a little bit on how we're going to issue tags, and and we talked about the loyalty program a little bit last time, but they gave a very detailed briefing, and basically what they're going to do, what they propose to do, is uh, four four points is open the application window earlier. So, um, you know, open it um, on August 1st of this year and close it on April 30th of next year. So that gives people more time to apply for their um, uh, elk tag. And then they, they have something they're gonna call voluntary surrender. So voluntary surrender says, permits not purchased by a set deadline will be classified automatically as voluntary surrender and will be offered to loyalty applicants. Okay, so we'll get to loyalty applicants next. What they're saying with voluntary surrender is, and we have a significant number every year of people that win a tag in the lottery but don't buy a permit. All right, that is a big number every year. And so, you know, last year we had 655 uh, tags issued 594 in the general tag lottery and then 61 special tags so a total of 655 tags were used last year but only 581 of those 655 were actually bought the permits were bought and the people went hunting so for those of you who just have a hard time believing that people would get a tag in the elk lottery and then not hunt it happens every single year and this year, only 88.7. So you could round it up and say only 89% of the tags issued either as special special tags or in the general lottery were actually the permits were bought and used. So there's a, there's a, a select number of tags that are left over every year that no one uses. And what the department's saying is they're going to give everybody in the future, or this is a proposal now. It hasn't passed. It's not even a discussion item. This is new business. Okay, so it'll be a discussion item here in the future. But what they're saying is, is that if you win a tag in the lottery, they're going to give you a deadline to buy your permit. If you don't buy your permit, they're calling it a voluntary surrender. Now, here's why that's important. Currently, if you draw a tag and you don't hunt, don't buy it, or you do hunt, you're out for three years. Under current rules, when you draw... You cannot participate in the lottery for three more years. What they're saying here is if you draw and don't buy the permit, maybe you got knee surgery, maybe you just forgot, whatever, you don't have to sit out for three years. Now, we don't editorialize this podcast, but that is somewhat confusing, and I'm trying to explain it as best I can. So then the next item is that we'll have a loyalty redraw. Um, basically what they're saying is, is those unused permits, right? So like I just said, 655 total were issued. Only 581 were bought and used. So the difference between those two numbers right there would be reissued by the department in some form or fashion. And I think it's only going to be the general tags. So out of 594 general tags, there's a percentage of those tags that were not used. The department would then reissue the unused tags out of the general lottery to the most loyal customers who have been buying tags for the 20 years we've had in elk hunt. And say it's 50. So the top 50 names on that loyalty list would get a call or an email from the department and say, hey, congratulations as a loyal elk permit applicator or as an elk tag application loyalist loyalist (laughs) for the state of Kentucky. You're one of the most loyal customers. We're going to give you one of these unpurchased elk tags and you have to buy the permit all right that's what they mean by loyalty so if you're one of the most loyal customers now there's it gets really deep and the weeds get really thick after that but just understand that that is the department's proposal on how to use those unused elk tags and then um then the last thing they want to do is to adjust the drawing date to accommodate the loyalty redraw. So right now the drawing is in May and they would um, change it up a little bit to give them some more time to then, you know, wait and see if people got, who got a tag in the lottery, then would buy the permit. So they need more, the department thinks they need more time between the lottery and the buying of the permit to see if people are actually gonna buy the permit. If they don't, it'll be voluntarily surrendered and then give the department time to then issue that to the loyal elk applicants. Um, that is going to be uh, referred to. That was not moved for discussion. Um, that as a new item, a new business item, was voted on to not be moved up for discussion. It was voted on to be surrendered or submitted all of the work of what was the legacy marketing committee on the elk program would be turned over to the elk working group and uh the elk working group uh is going to get together between now and the september meeting and see if we can't tweak their uh recommendations and the good work of the marketing committee to uh, come up with something that could be an action item the next one was to update fall turkey hunting participation and harvest um there's some concern about our turkey uh population getting lower and um This is a new business item, and basically what the department is thinking about doing is reducing the fall bag limit from from one tom and three hens, four birds total, (coughs) to two birds total, and just so everybody understands um, the data, the uh, overall fall harvest trend has been negative. Uh, The 10-year average annual harvest is uh, nearly 3,500 birds, but the more recent five and three year averages is down to 2,700. So it's down from 3,500 to 2,700 from the 10 year to the, the five and three year average. Um, so to make that less confusing, the 10 year average is 3,500. The five year average is 2,700 and the three year average is 2,300. So the trend's been going down, down, down. Uh, and very specifically, uh, in the, uh, 2019 fall season, um, Kentucky hunters, uh, only averaged 1,757 birds. So, um, you know, three year average was 2,300 and last year it was 1757. So whether or not that's, um, less interest or, you know, there's less birds out there to kill, they couldn't tell. Um, but it was a lot of discussion on that. Um, some conservation organizations in the state, uh, made public comment on that. And, uh, think that's going to be moved to discussion item uh, the next thing was to um, update trends on bobcat hunting and trapping seasons uh, basically there's some push to open up bobcat season to be part of almost the whole gun season gun, gun uh, deer gun season and then through the the n- current fur bearing season so to give you a bigger longer bobcat season uh, I think that uh, is gonna there's gonna be a better and more detailed report um, n- next commission meeting on that from the Wildlife Division. I don't think that's going to be a discussion. I don't think that's going to get moved. Um, then they worked on clarifying the rationale for the definition of youth and adult hunter and wildfowl regulations. And basically, um, their other hunting regulations consistently define youth as 15 or younger. Uh, and the adult definition um, provides some nuances in legal method of take. And who can supervise them? So this was basically just an administrative cleanup item um, to clarify the rationale for defining youth and adult in our waterfowl regulations. And then the uh, last um, uh, new business item was wanton waste. So. Uh, the commission uh, has been contacted by uh, sportsmen's groups like the League of Kentucky Sportsmen uh, who passed a resolution uh, in favor of developing a wanton waste law. Uh, sports uh, department staff and commission members have been reviewing wanton waste laws from other states and will uh, present recommendations in the future. Um, so that, that was that. Uh, for those of you who don't understand wanton waste, so basically in most of the western states and Alaska, if you kill a game animal, you pretty much have to take all four quarters and the backstrap. It's more restrictive in some other states, but that is generally what you have to take off of that animal, and anything else uh, could get you in serious trouble with Western game wardens. And so the Department of Fish and Wildlife is looking at doing that now as well, and the way they briefed it was for uh, deer, elk, and bear in Kentucky, you'd have to take all four quarters and the backstraps. For upland birds, which includes turkeys, you'd at least have to take the breast meat. Um, And then there was some discussion of um, what about carcass dumping as part of the wanton waste law. And to be honest, uh, I thought there was a really good uh, caveat by our law enforcement uh, that said, look, that's littering. And actually the fine for littering is higher right now than the um, fine would be uh, under the under the revised statutes that fish and wildlife have. So just leave it as littering and people would actually get in more trouble, uh, for littering. Um, the last thing that I was gonna, whew, man, this is a lot of stuff. The last thing I was going to update everybody on was, uh, the elk success numbers. Um, and I'm going to go through these pretty quick. So, you know, this is a digital podcast. You can hit the rewind button pretty quick, or you can, you know, slide that little bar back if you want to take notes. But, um, Um, overall our elk success rate was 41.48 percent this year so the success rate for all hunters all weapon systems all season was 41.48 percent so we had 241 elk harvested on 581 tags so there was 594 general season tags issued in the lottery And there were 61 special tags issued in the lottery for a total of 655 tags. 581 of 655 were used. That's 88.7%. Out of that 581, 241 hunters were successful. And that is 41.48%. So youth, 13 of 23 youth hunters were successful. Either sex archery, 48 of 153 hunters were successful. Bull Rifle Week 1, 30 of 73 hunters were successful. Bull Rifle Week 2, 23 of 71 hunters were successful. Cow Rifle Week 1, 45 of 100 were successful. Cow Rifle Week 2, 41 of 100 were successful. Last year, they gave seven commissioners' tags. Five of the seven commissioners' tag purchasers were successful. Um, they had uh, 45 land access tags. 28 of those were successful. They had three elk voucher tags. Two out of three were successful. And then ERP tags, which is uh, like the relocate, elk relocation program tags, I believe it's called. They only give six of those, and all six were successful for a total of 241 out of 581 for roughly 41.5%. So, whew, a lot to go over there.
1: A lot to go over. My with, goodness. And with that, like that's not a bad overall success rate.
0: Oh, no, that's going to make us number one or two yeah. in the entire country. Yeah. Like I've been saying, K- K- Kentucky elk hunters are spoiled rotten. In the first five years of this program, we had over 90%. Success rate, yep. And then it, and then it's kind of dropped off. You know, like seventy percent, sixty percent. And at one point we had, were issuing a thousand tags, and now we're down to five hundred ninety-four tags. And so the concern is we're down to a lower number of tags. Why isn't our success rate going up? Because you know, if we had ninety percent success rate, or, or I think it was like seventy-nine percent success rate when we're issuing a thousand tags, and now we're only issuing five hundred ninety-four tags, and our success rate's forty-one point four five or forty-one point four eight. You know that it's it's it doesn't trend logically, but mm-hmm. it's hard to apply logic to biological systems, yeah you know is it habitat is it is it is it the herd dynamics of herd cows are getting smarter there is, is it's most likely a combination of all of that, including poaching and brain worm and disease and ex, it's all that. but the bottom line is I think the only state that's higher than that's Wyoming, so you know you can bitch all you want about our herds lower and we're not really sure what our herd numbers are, but the math bears out that we are still one of the most successful states in the country. So there you go. So with all that, brother, I, I, I'm parched. I need another beer. Um, (laughs) it's, 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 uh, it's a lot to cover and try to get done in about an hour for everybody. We're once again, because these meetings are longer, uh, our podcast is getting longer. Um, so, um, what else we got to cover?
1: Uh, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything.
0: Um, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has a uh, Kentucky chapter. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has a uh, our first event in That's months. Right. because are yeah, al- yeah, we're allowed to have an event now. So we're going to have our first public lands work day in months. It's going to be July the 11th at Peabody Wildlife Management Area. Uh, we're going to do a cleanup. Look, we know it's going to be hot. We know there's going to be bugs. We know there's going to be snakes, but we're not park- or city park hunters and anglers we're backcountry (laughs) hunters and anglers so bring your bug spray bring your snake boots bring your big girl pants and help us clean that place up Uh, we really need to give a shout out to kentucky Anna safari club for paying about seven hundred dollars for a giant roll-off dumpster for us to fill um you know being a brand new chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers we're only about uh 15 i think almost 15 months old now as a chapter um we just don't have that kind of cash right now. We, we're still, and we focus on our public lands works more than fundraising anyway. So we're slow yeah. to raise money, but we're fast to get things done. So uh, based on some some sportsmen and women down at the Peabody Wildlife Management Area that said one of their biggest issues was the accumulation of trash down there. You know, they weren't throwing stones at the at the WMA manager and his staff. They weren't throwing stones at the game wardens down there. They're just basically saying, look, it is the biggest WMA in the state of Kentucky, it's also the most fragmented. There's multiple chunks all over, you know, like Muhlenberg County, and some of them become dumps. Yeah. And that was their biggest complaint. Well, what do we do at BHA? We work. So we're going to have a work day on the 11th. It'll start at 9 a.m. Uh, Central time. And uh, if you need more information, you can reach out to me at uh, Ranger at the slowhunt.com. Once again that's ranger r a n g e r the slowhunt.com or ben your
1: bishop at the slowhunt.com.
0: That's right bishop. So um that's pretty much it. If uh if you want to take action on anything we talked about, you can pretty much do that in two ways. Um, you can call the congressional switchboard and and I gave you that number earlier and I'll give it to you again before we get off of here. Um, But you can also go to, where can they go, Ben? Go to backcountryhunters.org and hit the Take Action tab. The Take Action tab at backcountryhunters.org. And uh, it will help you look at all of the issues that are going on at the federal level. And with just putting a little bit of information in, your name, your phone number, your zip code, and and a little bit of your address. And they need that to help figure out um, what voting district you're in. And then their automated system will pre-populate a letter for you on any one of those things that's important to you. There's issues on the boundary waters. Uh, there's issue on issues on uh, scientific management of the Great Lakes. There's issues on the pebble mine up in Alaska. And you can read each of the issues. You, you click the Take Action tab. You put in a little bit of information. It will format a letter to your representatives and senators and send it for you. If you're not comfortable calling the Congressional Switchboard at 202 224 three one two one asking for your senator representative's office they'll switch you over to that and then you just give them your name and your zip code and tell them to vote yay or nay on your issues that's the other way to do that um so we are trending to the end of this joker thank god um getting tired (laughs) 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 at least it feels good sitting in the truck here
1: yeah yeah. well
0: (laughs) okay so for those who can't see us we were going to do this podcast outdoors because I, the equipment I bought is remote equipment. And uh, it rapidly got up over 90 degrees and it and we're within um, archery range of um, a state road. And it is apparently the day to have your Harley Davidson out. And so we <laughs> not only will we be melting even under the shade of a tree, which we wanted to do this outdoors, we would be uh, also helping you, you know participate in the mantra that loud pipes save lives so (laughs) we decided to sit in ben's truck and crank the air conditioning so there you go but um all right so that brings us to the end of yet another uh state of the outdoors podcast um do you have any final thoughts for the people out there on any issue i don't i don't yeah i I really don't either and i'm pretty exhausted um you know i would say one thing uh we're in challenging challenging times right now for our country socially but you know i have to say to everybody that that this is these are the things that help us grow and become a more complete and inclusive democracy so just be kind be kind and be thoughtful uh there you know we're all americans and uh we all have our own opinions and 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 be respectful uh of each other you know there's absolutely no reason to get violent for any reason whatsoever so we're all americans we're going through some growing pains let's take a deep breath and be kind to each other and uh we'd like to thank uh grayson jenkins uh for his music he's a talented young man and uh and is a friend of uh of mr bishops here and um he allowed us to use his music for the intro and the exfiltration of this show and uh if you'd like to Uh, If you like what you hear and the the guitar riffs and and such on the start to the end of this thing, then you can uh, um, look up Grayson, like Grayson County, Kentucky, Grayson Jenkins, and just put that in a YouTube search engine and you'll get his music videos. And then you can, if you like what you hear, you can go from there. Um, We'd also like to thank uh, Walter at Louisville Toppers. Um, If you need any kind of upfitting for your truck, especially if you need a camper cap or tono cover, but, but basically anything, you need a deck system, you need a fancy bumper, you need a light bar, you need, uh, uh, you know, running boards or what we used to call nerf bars back in the day. You need a Yakima rack, whatever. Okay. If you need some upfitting for your truck, go see Walter at Louisville toppers. Walter is a, is a dear friend of mine. He's a good man and a Christian and, uh, and, a absolute workout freak but he's a super sweet guy and uh, he's always done quality work on my vehicle and once you go in there and get something done you're one of walter's customers and if anything ever busts if anything ever breaks all you got to do is call him and run back in there and he's got a, a staff of guys that really know what they're doing so if if you need anything for your truck go see walter um he doesn't sponsor us we're still just a pro bono show but Walter told me that he would be happy to give any listener to this podcast who goes in and mentions, uh, Colonel Mike and Ben Bishop and the state of the outdoors podcast, a discount. So if you go in and you need some work done, make sure you mention us and ask for Walter and he'll give you that discount. Um, if you got any issues you'd like to discuss with us, uh, please, again, I'm Ranger at the slow hunt and Ben is
1: Bishop at the slow hunt
0: and, uh, If you want to take action but you don't want to make that phone call, go to backcountryhunters.org and click the Take Action tab, and it will walk you through it. Once again, folks, this podcast is part of the Slow Hunt LLC network, and remember, slow is smooth and smooth is fast.